Hey, if you're enjoying this show, uh, consider supporting us on our Patreon. You can get cool perks like access to these episodes a week before they go public, and you can pick an album for us to review. Any support is greatly appreciated, so if you feel inclined, go to patreon.com slash polyphonicpress. listening to polyphonic press a podcast for music lovers join your hosts jeremy boyd and john van dyke as they take a deep dive into a classic album and analyze it track by track hey welcome to polyphonic press i'm jeremy boyd i'm john van dyke and uh i don't know what to say Shabadoo. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, sh- I hadn't thought this far ahead. I don't know what to say. <laughs> well, we, you know, we just get everything working and then suddenly, oh, wait, there's a, also supposed to be for the, the talking and the yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Well, I, I guess we don't want to waste too much time. So... <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we'll um, just go ahead, right ahead and uh, pick what album we're going to be listening to this week. Yep. Okay. So let's spin the wheel, roll the dice, and all the things. I don't know. And, uh, okay, let's pick Kick the Kick the dumpster. Kick the dumpster. <laughs> okay. And bam. We're going to be listening to Aretha Franklin's Lady Soul. Mm. So I don't know much about Aretha Franklin. You know a little bit. Okay, so this is her 12th studio album, released in January of 1968. A couple of singles from the album, You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman, Chain of Fools, I know that song. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sweet Baby, Since You've Been Gone. Yeah, cool. I'm excited to get into this. I don't really know much about Aretha Franklin or not that familiar with her her music. I've I've heard quite a bit of stuff. I don't think I've had a, a, the full album placed in front of me, oddly enough. But yeah, her stuff has definitely popped up over the years at my house, so. Cool. Get into it. The first song on the album is Chain of Fools. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to... It's a good one. I like it. Okay, so let's get into that. Chain of Fools. Awesome. Yep. That was... Uh, uh, she has such an amazing voice. Mm-hmm. Um and it's just one of those voices where you, it has so much feeling in it. You know what I mean? And, uh, and the, 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 the playing on that song was great. I mean, this is in the sixties when you didn't have, uh, like synthesizers or drum machines or anything like that. And I noticed at one point there was a, a bit of a mistake where I think it was the keyboard player, one of the piano players, actually missed a beat <laughs> and you know if that had happened today you would have edited that out but uh it's kind of amazing that they they left that in 
Yeah, well, I think that that track was awesome. There, there's nothing, I mean, nothing's really noticeable that, that, that stands out. Um, I mean, I think, I think I, I, you know, that, that little mistake you're talking about with the, the piano, I don't, I didn't notice that myself, but, but I noticed little other things going. There was nothing really that there's no real flaws to, you know, that, that are really like, they don't damage it or in, uh, in any, um, capacity. No, no. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that it's, uh, it was a bad thing or anything like that. It's just like, and it was barely noticeable. Um, but I was just like, you can tell that this was probably recorded live, like with all the oh yeah, players in the off, same room. Live, live off the floor, I'm quite yeah. certain. And I just love the sound. There's so much bottom end on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even the guitar is like really low down there. It might have even been like a, um, oh, what do they call them? Uh, a baritone guitar. Although I don't know how many baritone guitars were being made at the time, but... Yeah. Uh, it might have just been tuned a step down. Oh, yeah. It might have been. Um, so, actually, the guitar players on this album, it doesn't say which tracks they play on. Well, I can actually see. Um, so, the guitars were on this track were done by Jimmy Johnson and Joe South. Mm-hmm. Um, who, Joe South is, is a, a really good singer-songwriter in his own right. Yep. Um but uh, on the album credits, uh, Eric Clapton plays on the guitar, plays guitar at some point as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the, and you're right. Like the sound, it's just that that '60s, like, um, like Phil Spector had that kind of sound as well, and it's just like that '60s pop R&B soul sound, like that that yeah. Stax sound or that. Motown sounded there's just something about it that sounds so good that other records of the time don't really sound like that yeah it's it's a it's funny there's only like a few places where you would get that sound out of it but no it's not a sound that you would get out of like um most uh you know rock bands of the time or something like that I mean many of them were trying to sort of mimic a sound similar like that actually they were listening to stuff that was even older than that at the while they were well you know this stuff was being produced yeah um but uh um i I just love that really it almost sounds like i don't want to say it sounds like out of date or anything like that but it sounds very much like a an early 60s or a mid 60s thing even though this is like 1968 but i guess it's just because the that sound like they never stopped doing that sound um these like uh stacks and motown stuff like that they just they sort of carried that it evolved a little bit but uh yeah. that's just sort of what what they went with and everything else is like evolving like you know crazy rates around them yeah um yeah but that's you... that's not to knock this at all no I, mean, I love it i love the sound it's one of my favorite tracks actually yeah no, I know exactly what you're saying because in the rock, we're I I'm I'm can only speak for myself, but I think you're the same. As my view of the '60s is informed by the evolution of rock bands, yeah, um, which changed rapidly, like from the sort of bluesy, like Yardbirds kind of early Rolling Stones thing to the more psychedelic stuff, and then sort of getting back to the bluesy rock and towards the end of the '60s. But yep. still, you know, with the experience of the psychedelic stuff, um, yep. 
So you can very clearly see the evolution of rock and roll through that. But on the other side, you have uh, like stuff like this, the Memphis sound and the Motown and stuff. It didn't change quite as rapidly. And maybe actually it changed more in more of a natural progression. Mm, yeah. Um, less of an, uh, an injection of acid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause when you, Although I'm sure there was a little bit of that around. Yeah. Cause it's weird to think about like 65 is only two years before 1967, but they yep. seem like worlds apart. Yep. Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, you can find anything in 1965 that sounded even remotely psychedelic, really. I mean, there was, like, proto-punk and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and, like, around at the time. But, again, it, it's a that whole really, you know, strange noises and playing with warbling and, and things like that and, and talk box or not talk boxes, but wah-wah pedals and stuff like that. I mean, none of that would exist in 1965, and then around 1967, you could hardly get away from it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Whereas before, like, a change like that would take place over five years or something. Yeah. That was two years. Yep. And it's 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 it still blows my mind that how much things changed like that. But, but, um, but yeah, it, it, it is perhaps like the more natural the way that soul music changed and maybe it i don't i don't know obviously acid was a huge influence in the rock scene i don't think it was as much of a an influence in the pop and r&b scene um obviously which you know acid is going to change everything and we could get a whole into a whole discussion about the way psychedelics yep. change your brain and maybe how it cl- change the collective consciousness and all that let's yeah but this is not that episode <laughs> no um so uh let's listen to the next track which is called uh, money won't change you Man, I just love the way that it grooves, like the way that the, it just feels like really laid back and relaxed. Yeah. Well, it's funny, energetic yet relaxed. Yeah. In, in a way, yeah. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's an energetic, but it's an easily moving energetic. Yeah. It doesn't. It feels like it doesn't take much energy to def, to to gain that much energy. It's interesting. It's it's like a. Like it, I, I, I envision like a train going down mm-hmm. the tracks. It's just once it gets the momentum, it just, it just goes, and it's just going the, really just easy. The weight of the train is yeah. pushing it along. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just one of those like the way the drums are playing just a little bit behind the beat, um, which is a very, that's uh, uh, a very much uh, a sign of the times and these players and. Actually, I'm wondering who actually played on this. Uh, so it's either Roger Hawkins or Gene Chrisman. I don't know who those guys are, but uh, I'm sure they're the studio musicians who Roger Hawkins. played on I think I've heard of Roger Hawkins, possibly. Um, again, some of these musicians, they turn up in other sessions and, and stuff like that. And you might read their names and on all sorts of things around there, but I'm sure they were like... <laughs> Known to people in these studios, for sure. Yeah. 
and the uh, I just the the bass line is double was doubled with the uh, piano. Then I noticed that that was a really interesting technique that they did as well, and just to kind of fill the space. And who um. Jerry Wexler is the producer on this, and apparently he produced a whole bunch of these uh, soul and R&B. Um, oh, he's done a lot, even in the rock stuff. But yeah, he's an amazing producer, and it, it really takes talent to... I, it, I, I always... I am amazed at the way that these records turned out in the way, cause I went, to, when I was studying audio engineering, we did all of our stuff on computers and it's amazing to me how they mixed everything without seeing the waveform. They actually had to listen. Yeah, exactly. Oh, honestly, the waveform, well, when I look at the waveform, like uh, all it tells me for, for anything is if something is clipping, but usually you can hear that. Yeah. So honestly, I don't pay that close attention to the waveform when I'm, you know, working on stuff like this personally. So that's just me. I guess I'm more analog that way. Yeah. And but you have to uh, even when you're um making an edit. I mean, if you're cutting tape and editing two takes together or something, you especially if it's like um a full mix like a. a if it's drums, you have to get it right exactly where the the beat starts, and you have to listen for yep. it. Scrub back, scrub the two reels of tape back and forth to where you get it exactly, and then make the cut. And I'm just amazed at that skill. And I guess you would get used to it after a while. You would just do would, it without it even really thinking naturally. about it. Basically, it would be they'd be using your ears, their ears, the way you'd be using your eyes exactly. when editing. So yeah. the way you can visualize the, the waveform on it, their their brain is visualizing it, but through the ears as opposed to take, registering the information through the eyes. Exactly. So it's just a, a skill you would develop after a while. Yeah. I'm just, yeah, and but I'm just amazed that they, I guess they didn't have any other way to do it. Nope. Back then either. So it's like, well, this is how you do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, listen to the next one. Uh, it's called People Get Ready. And I think I know this song. So, oh, that actually, by the way, that song, Money Won't Change You, is actually originally done by James Brown. That's yeah. a cover from James Brown. Um, so the uh, next one is uh, People Get Ready. Let's hear that. People get ready There's a train coming Don't need no baggage You just get What an amazing voice. Yeah. Oh, uh, man. I I'm always I I can't really sing and I'm always amazed at at people who can control their voice that way. I just, I, I don't know how they do it. I mean, I was in choirs a bit when I was younger. Um, I can't sing like Aretha can. No. Um, I, I mean, it's just because my voice can't do some of the things that she can, but I can carry a note. Um, but yeah, no, um, my range isn't like, uh, isn't like that. And actually I think it's been, <laughs> it, it's gone down since the years. So, 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it's it's just, it's like anything you you have to practice at. Yeah, it. exactly. But I've been told maybe that, I can get it back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you can. I'm. I've been told that anybody can learn to sing. It's people think that it's a talent. There is. Um. I mean, there's a certain amount of talent to it, but there's but but there is. Every. I mean, it can be learned. I mean, learning to hear that note it um it is a skill that you can learn yeah i mean Um, obviously some people's voices just won't do that like they're they're just they're they're physically not built to do that yeah but you can anybody can learn to sing and hit the notes really all what i've learned uh, and i what has made me a better singer is learning to control your breathing and th- so on that track i noticed the guitar and i'm pretty sure that's eric clapton playing guitar could be it sounds a lot like him mm-hmm. and he's one of those guitar players that you you hear and you know that it's him yeah yeah he's got a, a very unique uh, guitar sound well I guess we'll move on to the next track then. All right. So the next one is called Nikki Hokey. Interesting title. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That was a cool song. I like the uh, the call and response of the her and the, the background singers. Yeah. That sounded almost like a Tony Joe White sort of song. That one. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. Yeah. Uh, like p- poke salad Annie or something. It sounds. Yeah, it's definitely in that uh, in that vein. Um, do they maybe rip him off or something? I don't think so. I'm sure it, he got a lot of influence from stuff like this, actually. That's... <laughs> uh, yeah, because uh, this came out in '68. And that Tony Joe Wait sixty nine, so okay. or maybe released June sixty nine. Yeah, so maybe he heard this, and I've done that before. I've picked up on things from another song and came up with something that's based on that. Yep. Um. Yeah, that was a fun song. I mean, just a almost. I I don't know if it. Uh, fits on the album. No, I think it I think it's all right. It sort of yeah. fits in with the Chain of Fools sound and stuff like that. Yeah, that's true. It's this one it was a little little bit faster, I thought. Yeah. But that's um, fine. I mean, a good well-rounded album has got songs of all sorts of different speeds and lengths and Yeah. and things. Uh, have you heard um the uh, Tony Joe White album that was just released recently that uh um, it was like the last thing he'd recorded before he died, but uh, it was um, with uh, Dan Auerbach. No. No? It's pretty good. It's good stuff. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I know I haven't heard that. I know he did something with Foo, uh, Foo Fighters. Hmm. Could before, be. But um, I'll have to check that out. This album just came out. I mean, he died like, I think he... I think he might have been one of the people who died around 2016 at time, but the album was just put out either just this past year or the year before or something like that. It's pretty recent. Cool. Um, all right. Well, let's get on to the next song here. 
It's called You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman. I know I we know, know this we, song. Everybody knows this song. Everyone knows this song. We yeah. think. Yeah. I, we, if you don't. I mean, we don't mean to assume, but it is a very well-known song. Yes, <laughs> exactly. All right, here we go. One of the things that I noticed about that that was really stood out to me was the way that the like the, the when they sang the chorus, all the music dropped out except for the bass. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really cool the way that the bass kind of doubled the heart or the melody of the chorus and then everything came back in again, which is it's something that's very unique to that time. Oh, dynamics have almost completely died out. So, <laughs> there's only a few artists who, who still know how to use them properly. Um, but yeah, production-wise, it's, it's very rare to find a producer that, that, that'll allow real dynamics to happen on their production. And to leave space. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, let the track breathe a little bit. And it's okay that, you know, not every instrument has to play all at the same time. No. And you don't have to, what they call brick wall compressing, which yeah. is just, you know, the loudness war and all that. Um, and, and it's interesting because this one even has a orchestra parts in it, which is like something that people, you know, associate with like overproduction. But honestly, I actually really like the parts that they put in there. Like the orchestra parts are just, they're perfect. They're not all over the place. They're they honestly just little accents, little cherries on top of an already great track, and it, it doesn't hurt it. It actually enhances it in, in just the right places. Exactly. It's it's what synthesizers were meant to do. <laughs> yes. You know, I think um, getting into like 80s production where the synthesizer was front and center in a lot mm-hmm. of tracks... Where I think it's okay to use, I, I'm not a huge fan of that sound. Some of it is is okay. I've I've heard it used properly. I mean, yeah, it, it's about how it's used. Um, you can use it, and and it's grown on me over the years. Yeah, yeah, I've learned to appreciate it, but it's not my favorite sound. No, and it can like if I listen to too much of it, it can get kind of boring. It can, <laughs> yeah, it can grate on you. Um, but where I think it, it's used well is when it's used like this in, in a background to just lift the track up a little bit. Sort of like punctuation in places as opposed to uh, carrying absolutely everything, especially when everything, every instrument is actually being replicated on a DX7. <laughs> it's Ye- annoying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this track was co-written with Carol King and uh, if you don't know yes. who Carol King is, she wrote a lot, a lot of pop music from the sixties for, for everyone from, uh, the animals to, uh, this track to, she wrote so many songs and she's also a really, uh, good singer songwriter had, had her a career afterward as a singer songwriter in the seventies. Yep. Um, She's one of those people who uh, you don't realize how old she is until you start looking into her history. It's just like, wait, she was doing stuff way back in the late 50s and 60s? Good grief. How old was she? Yeah. She was young when she started. She was very young when she started. She's 
79 now. Yeah. Um, and I know that because I'm on her Wikipedia page. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't just know that offhand. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, I know she wrote that song, um, don't bring me down by the animals. Oh, she wrote that one. She That's wrote cool. that. Uh, she wrote, uh, uh, how many, what other songs? You make me feel like a natural woman. Uh, she wrote the locomotion. I didn't know that. Okay. Uh, Actually, I think I did know that one. I heard that one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, she wrote a lot of pops pop music from the '60s, including this this song. Um. Oh, what I was gonna say is the actually the reason I, I that the strings are on this track, and they did this a lot with a lot of soul uh, music in the day. It's not exactly the best thing. It's they would add strings so that it would be played on white radio. Yes, I know. Oh, it's true. And and it's funny. We were going back and we're talking about how, how we're used to like the rock and roll of the era, but 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 listening to like the, the soul and, and the Motown stuff, that was rock and roll. It's oh, just yeah. they, they they re um but categorized it just to, to sort of again segregate in quotations. Um, white music and black music because they could not get their heads o- around the fact that they're doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, earlier on in the fifties and you think about like rock and roll, who do you think about? You think about Chuck Berry, yeah. Fats Domino, yep. um, people like that. But also uh, people coming along like uh, Buddy Holly and of course Elvis and yeah. people like that. But so it was more integrated in the fifties. But they had to separate it when the '60s rolled around. Yeah, and 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 then going from there, I, and I think it did more damage than it in the long term than it than it did more good because rock now is seen as a white person's music. Yeah, it's true. And there's only a handful of uh, black artists that I would consider rock, mm-hmm. or that is considered rock. Um, or even rock adjacent. A lot of them are very, uh, you know, steeped in the blues and stuff like that, which is, yeah. that's not a problem. I, I no. honestly wish more white rock was, they could lo- learn a lot more from the blues as well as the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But I think of like, uh, from this period on, I think Jimi Hendrix, I can really only think of one person per decade, I think, like. There's Jimi Hendrix from the 60s, uh, Phil Lynott from Thin Lizzy from in the 70s. I can think of a few more. There's um, Arthur Lee of Love uh, from the 60s, right. late 60s into the, into the 70s, but I think that his most well-known stuff is 60s. Man, I really hope we get to do Forever Changes. I hope that's in the... <laughs> that's such well, a good album. If not, we can add it. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I'm sure it's in there. Yeah. Um. And then in the 80s, I guess, Lenny Kravitz. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the 90s is, uh, see, Lenny I don't Kravitz. even know <laughs> him. And then the... Uh, I would actually place him more in the 90s, although he started it around in the 80s, but his yeah. most well-known stuff is in the 90s. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and then there's again, the guy from Hootie and the Blowfish, I guess. But but again, there are more. Um, yeah, trying to sit and think of them. I know they're out there. For but sure. I'm yeah, and but I'm oh, just now I would say um Gary Clark Jr. Although again he like, he's more blues, but yeah. he's 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 
I, I'd put him in, in a rock category. I'd play him with rock stuff. Yeah, totally. I would too. I mean, the, the rock and blues is like it's always they've always been very you know tight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's the, the getting back to this is the reason that I think the reason that this was such a big hit is because of those strings. And then, and though, because of those strings, it was allowed to be played on white radio, Mm -hmm. Um, which is unfortunate that that's what they had to do, but like they, they made it work and it doesn't sound bad. Um, But it's just unfortunate that that's, that was kind of an obligation. If you wanted to release a single and have it do anything. Yeah. But seems times have changed in that regard. Hopefully. Yes. Uh, I guess we'll move on to the next track. Move on to the next track. So this is actually, this is the beginning of side two. Uh, this is called Sweet Sweet Baby in brackets or parentheses for you Americans. Uh, since you've been gone. This here. Cool, that was a little more lively. <laughs> yeah. I always have to remind myself, just, you know, when I when I think about, you know, if I'm going to do music and stuff like that, I'm thinking of all these different instruments I want to do it, and I got to remind myself that just a, a regular upright piano can sometimes be a really important instrument when it comes to doing like a really driving boogie sort of sound. Yeah. It just sounds so great, um, especially when you got like a, you know, funky bass line dancing around it and this piano. That was a very piano-driven at times, uh, when it's not bass-driven, you know. He's, this this album is very bass-driven, I've noticed that. Oh, very much so, yeah the, yeah. the bass and the drums are very much in the forefront, and I think that's really, I mean, that's that's how you get people dancing, and then that's how you, that's the way you do it. That's probably why yeah. those are mixed so high. Um, but yeah, I, I, you're right. I mean, you, uh, you think about the piano now and the way that it's used in music, it's mostly used for like slower songs and ballads and stuff like that. But when it's used on a track like this, it can really, really bring it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's, there was barely any guitar in that track at all. I think it was just like something like a, just like a little bit of a highlight here and there just in the background. But it, it, but the guitar wasn't missing. Like I, no. I didn't feel like a, the guitar. No, it didn't needed. feel like it was. It, it was like you know, oh, there's a gap there. No, there's no gap. It was just a really good track. Yeah, and it's um, all right. So let's move on to the next track, I guess. Uh, so uh, this song is called "Good to Me as I Am to You." I can just picture her singing that song in like a smoky lounge at like two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think, I think so. Usually with a little less production behind it, but yeah. yeah. Um, that's just a, that was a really good song. And, and, uh, again, you could really hear the piano and the, uh, coming out of that one. That was a slower one, but it was still an energetic use of, of an upright piano. Yeah. It's just really good sound. Yeah, I think that actually might be my favorite song on the album so far. 
I think it's it's going to be hard to top the very first one. I love the Chain of Fools. That's a great song. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's that is a great song. But this might be, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't want. I don't want to rank the songs. But yeah, it's it's hard to rank the songs, especially when you're going through them like the first time, at least first time through an album setting. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so far, this is the one that stood out to me the most. Is my. Uh, it's your highlight. My this is my highlight. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I I, I and and it's it's just the like you said it's it's slow, but it has energy. Yeah. And. I really like that about it, which is hard to pull that off. And it, and it, again, it comes down to dynamics. It's, mm-hmm. you think of a song that has, is full of energy. You think that it's going to be, be fast, fast. And you think of a slow song that's going to be like a ballad and very delicate and thing, but it's hard to, it's not, I wouldn't say it's hard, but it's, it's, it, it takes it to a whole other level when it's, a slow song that has that this much, like this much balls, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Yes, I do. That's a ballad done right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I think, yeah, this definitely is, is a highlight for me for sure. Well, only a few tracks left. Yep. So yeah, we got three tracks left. So the next one is called come back baby. That is that is one killer uh, rhythm section. Just got yeah, just, wow. Uh, yeah, I just they're so tight, just so tight. And but you can tell that these guys are just so in tune with each other, and they can just play off of each other really, mm-hmm. really well. Um, so you're the expert. Was was that a Farfisa or a Vox Continental? In the background? Actually, I think that was a... In the background, I believe that was a Hammond. I believe that was a B. Really? But it was, it was really high in the register, and it was really, really uh, far back in the mix. But yeah, that's a B. Okay. Yeah, and you can only really hear it at the beginning, and it got really buried by the time the song was going, really going on, but... Uh, yeah. Again, it just added that flavor at the beginning, but yeah, I, I know where you're you're getting that sort of Vox sort of thing. It it didn't quite have that sound, but it it was doing its part sort of in in the track, being such a high higher register sort of flavors uh, mixed in with, of course, the real bottom end with your bass and 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 drums, which are just so high in the mix. And it what it the what I liked about it is it gave the track a little bit more energy mm-hmm. it just added that little bit of flavor it's like adding some a little some, bit of tension yeah exactly yeah. just adding a little bit of pepper on the dish to give give that little just that sizzle is yeah, that sizzle exactly sizzle yes <laughs> that's exactly what it is um very cool very cool i mean i we're this is an aretha franklin album and we're talking mostly about the music. I mean, but, but, I mean what that's can, where we come from. I yeah. mean, we could go on and on and on about her voice, of course. Yeah. But but yeah, being from like a uh, uh, a musicians or 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 even just a a rock and roll 
appreciators uh, um, view upon this sort of thing. We're definitely going to be looking at the music being going on behind. It's just, it really is an important part of the, the, the mix. Yeah. And I find it sort of a shame. It doesn't get more, more, um, doesn't get talked about more when it comes to this. I mean, not, not to knock Aretha at all. I mean, who would do that? Right. <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot going on behind her too. So, um, so this is interesting. So the background singers, yeah. uh, is a group called, uh, sweet inspirations. Mm-hmm. And, it features the lead, the leader of Sweet Inspirations is Sissy Houston, okay. uh, Whitney Houston's mother. Yes. I didn't know that. I didn't know Whitney Houston's mother was a singer. I had heard. It's not something I thought much about, but I think I had heard at that one point. And, and uh, yeah, I had heard that Whitney Houston's mother was a, a Sissy Houston and she used to sing with people. But yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all, honestly. Yeah. That's really cool. I didn't know that. Yep. But uh, yeah, those are the, yeah. That's the, the that's who's credited as the uh, all the background singers as uh, uh, sweet inspirations. I never heard of them. I, I I guess they're they're a group on their own. Um, they're not just backup singers. They're anyway. This uh this is the second last song on the album. It's called Groovin'. I think I know this song. But maybe this isn't the same song as uh, um, what is it? The Young Rascals did. <laughs> I don't think it is. It might be. I don't think it is, but we'll see. Well, that certainly was the song I was thinking. It was. But I was but thinking it, it wasn't. <laughs> uh, it's such a different version of it, though. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, it it has a little more. It was a little more lively. Um, I don't know what the word is, but it it uh, is more soulful. More I mean, soulful. Yeah. You almost feel like well, duh. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yes, totally. Um. Yeah. I mean, that's just a testament to her ability to sing anything, really. Um, and to, it, it, this is an interesting choice of a song uh, as well to put on the album. Because you, would, you wouldn't think that Aretha Franklin, Aretha Franklin doing a song by the Young Rascals would work. And yet, did, it Did does. they write it? Uh, they did... Well, I don't know if they wrote it. They were the original artist. They were the original artist. So there you go. Well, okay. I, I see. Sometimes I'm not 100 sure who who came first for some of this stuff. I know, um, especially in the 60s. It's yeah, like there's a lot of songs got thrown around. Um, they're not necessarily dead. covers. They're like, well, you sing the. We have songs for you to do. Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah, the the line between, you know, covers and originals was a little bit blurry then. Yeah. So. But, uh, yeah. yeah, like, uh, even, uh, did you know that uh, Superstition by, uh, um, oh, for pity's sakes, think of his name. Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder, yeah. I mean, he wrote the song, but that wasn't the original version. What was the original version? The original version was the version on a... Uh, um, 
Beck Bogart and a Peace album, which is uh, Carmen a Peace and uh, Tim Bogart from uh, um, Vanilla Fudge with Jeff Beck. Mm -hmm. So they put out an album, and on the album they put out a song called Satisfaction, and that was actually written by Stevie Wonder for that album. Really? Yep. What, Satisfaction or Superstition? Superstition, sorry. Yeah, okay. But yeah. Um, that it was written for that album, and that was a year before uh, he decided to put on his own album. Wow, I didn't know that. Yep, that happens a lot too. I know, uh, you know the song "Blinded by the Light," which was uh, I think Manfred Mann's Earth Band had the big hit with it, but uh, people don't know that that was written by Bruce Springsteen. And uh, it's funny whenever I I bring that up and I tell people that it's like really <laughs> they have no yeah. idea because it doesn't his version is very different but um uh but yeah that that happens a lot when the bigger hit or I guess I guess Stevie Wonder had the bigger hit with superstition. he did have the bigger hit with with superstition but again the original version that he wrote for Beck Bogart in a piece it was well the album was. I mean, other than like hardcore Jeff Beck fans and, and other like, you know, music, rock and roll, you know, people who, who really dug into that scene of and the music that the album was largely ignored by the general public. But uh, Stevie Wonder said, well, that song is too good to be left there. So I'm putting it on my own album. And of course, it's one of his biggest songs ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to say something, but, uh, I'm going to save it for when we do that album. (laughs) Okay. Uh, yeah. So I, yeah, we'll save it for that. Sure. Um, so, uh, next, uh, up is, this is the last track is called, um, Ain't No Way. For me to love you, if you want. I loved the uh, the horn arrangements on that. Mm-hmm. That was really well done. Yeah, again, it's a great way to wrap up an album. It's, uh, you know, sort of brings, you know, there's lots of, like, really energetic points and there's slower points, but it's nice to sort of bring it, bring it down at the end of that and it just sort of, like, wraps it up. Just kind of taper it off and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I... So this song clearly is a breakup song. Um, and I'm just thinking, and I was wondering how many times this song has been played at a wedding and the people didn't realize or didn't listen to the lyrics. Yes. Classic. Classic. <laughs> people, that's, it gets, it happens all the time. Yeah. People don't listen to things like that. They just don't. No. I, I know there's, uh, the song um, by the police, Every Breath You Take. Yeah, that, that's that's a classic. That's a, obviously, that's a song written from the perspective of a stalker. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's, it's a classic, um, quintessential um, wedding first dance song. It's yeah. just, it probably gets played more for first dance than any other song. And yep. it's completely inappropriate for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, that's, it, it, that happens all the time. And I'm just, yep. I'm sure th- 
that's not these aren't the only songs that happens with because there's a lot of songs that they sound like love songs but they're yeah. completely the opposite like a breakup yep. song or a, something else or whatever absolutely but, yep yeah that was a, a very cool way to end the album and uh I don't know. I I love. I really like this album, and I appreciate it. I think more than I thought it would. No. Oh. Um, I was, you know, when when it came up, I'm thinking, oh, good, it's a good excuse to listen to to some soul stuff around here. And I I don't know why I don't get around to listening to a lot of it. And I know I should because I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, there really it needs to be in 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 my um mix of uh. You know, it needs to be in my rotation a lot, a lot more than it is. Yeah. And somehow it just doesn't get there. I don't know why I need to change that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a whole world of, of absolutely uh, soul stuff. I mean, not just the Motown and the stuff. I've always stuff. loved Wilson. Yeah, I know. I've always loved Wilson Pickett and stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah Sam and whole... Dave. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, this, I'm, I feel the same way. It's like, I need to listen to this more. Rufus Thomas. Rufus Thomas, yeah. I have a no. few records of I got one of Rufus Thomas, I'm pretty sure. So yeah. Uh, you need more. <laughs> I need more I I I need more yeah. of this stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Um I need to work on that. <laughs> yeah. There's gotta be a compilation or something out there of Oh, there's, there's stuff there's that you can definitely. introduce yourself to I almost stuff. I, I came well, I, I actually did buy a Wilson Pickett album. But there was no record in it. And that was annoying. I found it at Value Village. And it was just I go through the records at Value Village, it's, it's such a crapshoot. Yeah. I, I have better luck with the singles, believe it or not. Yeah. The forty fives. I find some gems on those. The records, it's I don't know. It's so just, it's just the sleeve. It was just the sleeve. <laughs> and then there was another one. I forget no, there's something else stuck in the sleeve, but it was completely the wrong thing. Oh. It wasn't him or anything. There was also an empty sleeve of um uh Jefferson Airplane uh sur- sur- surrealistic pillow there, which I really wish there was an album in there, but no. Same day yeah. too. It was just <laughs> somebody's not paying attention to this stuff. It yeah. just drives me crazy. Anyway, that's just my little rant for Yeah. So uh so yeah, we uh, I guess the verdict is we need to listen to more soul music. <laughs> yes, we do. Um anyway, that's uh that I've enjoyed this album. Um and uh I guess if there's anything else you want to say? No, I think uh I think we uh, wrapped it up pretty well. Uh listen to more soul music. Yes, definitely. Everybody should. Mhm. Um right, well, if that's everything, I'm Jeremy Boyd. I'm John Van Dyke. And take it easy. Been listening to Polyphonic Press. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Polyphonic Press. Check out the website, polyphonicpress.com. Feel free to drop us a line at polyphonicpressmusic at gmail.com. And finally, you can support the show by heading over to patreon.com slash polyphonicpress. 